And we'd like to welcome Ooh. Mr. Hansen up. <laughs> hey, well, uh, happy St. Patty's Day to you. I see lots of green. I don't know if you thought about that this morning, but uh, uh, it's good to see all of you. Uh, I think Jay said this, but I'm going to be continuing our series that we've, we've been doing called Jesus Is, and uh, this is going to be a series that's going to, uh, we're going to ramp us up to, to Easter, and last weekend, JT did an excellent job looking at Jesus is God, Jesus is fully God, and uh, today we're going to be looking at Jesus is man. We're going to be uh, focusing in on, on the humanity of Jesus, and when I say the humanity of Jesus, I think it's something that we struggle understanding that. I think we sh- it's something that we struggle really getting our, our heads around his humanity and just how human Jesus really was and is. Uh, it's interesting as you read the Gospels, you know, the first four books of the New Testament, that the people in those stories, I, I don't think they struggled uh, to believe that Jesus was a man. Uh, you know, it's like, Jesus? Oh, we know Jesus. He's Joseph and Mary's boy. Where they struggled was believing that he was also uh, God. And uh, before Jesus arrived on the scene, there were different beliefs and philosophies that were very influential uh, regarding what uh, God was like. And for the note takers and our people that, for our studiers, look up the Stoics and the Epicureans. These are two groups that were uh, heavily influenced by Greek philosophy. And their teaching was this. In answering the question, what is God like? They would say God is Spock-like. No, they wouldn't say Spock because they didn't know what Spock yet. But uh, what I mean is they would say that God is, uh, does not have emotions. Because in their view, if God had emotions, he would then be a weak God. He would be a God that would be susceptible to, to manipulation. So he was, he, you know, he was void of emotions. They would also say that God is a distant God from humanity. Their teaching was that God lived in this realm between the heavens and the, and the earth. And he was, you know, here, lived in his own little realm, uh, very detached from people. Now, there were also the Jewish people. Uh, they would have had a much more accurate view of, of God. But again, if you look at the Old Testament, there was still a significant gap uh, between the people and God. God was seen as an unapproachable God. Well, it's into this world that Jesus shows up. And he comes on the scene saying, hey, I'm Jesus. I'm the son of God. I call him father, and you can too. And basically, Jesus coming to earth and you know, his message was, hey, in my arrival, really what's going on is God has put on skin and God has now come in, in me, in Jesus, God has now come to enter into the suffering and struggle of, of humanity. God has come to you know, walk on this earth to live among us. And Hebrews 1.3 says this. It says that the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So basically what that verse is saying is, if you want to answer the question, what is God like? Well, the answer is simply, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at the stories of Jesus. That is what God is like. Jesus is the exact representation of God. And the people would have looked at that, looked at Jesus, and here's where they struggle, because they're like, like, eh, no way, Jesus. There's no way God would act like you. There's no way God would talk the way you talk. 
God does not get down in the dirt with people. Right? God, does not, God is not that human. Um, look at this picture. Who remembers this lady? Lady Diana. I tell you, growing up in Canada, we, are, we love the royals. I mean, we have plates with their faces on them. And I especially loved Lady Diana. I remember, I remember the night that she died. I was on the phone with my buddy Warren and it came across the news and I cried when this woman died because she was very unlike, (laughs) she was very unlike the royals, the typical royals. Lady Diana was known as the people's princess and of all the royals, she by far was and is, still is, the most loved by people. Uh, This lady uh, was not, she did not act like a typical royal. She broke the rules. She broke the protocols. She broke the stereotypes of what it meant, what it looked like to be a princess. Uh, Lady Diana worked very hard to use her lofty position to get down in the dirt to get down in the lowest of, you know, down with the lowest of the low to lift people up. Listen to this quote. It says, the royal family used to say that everyone had to be deferential to them. But Diana said, if someone might be nervous of you or you're speaking to a very young child or a sick person, get yourself on their level. So true of her. Look at this next picture. Now, Here's Lady Diana, much to the chagrin of her security. She is in Angola and she's walking through a partially, partially cleared minefield. And she's doing that, again, she's using her position for the sake of others. She's doing that to draw attention to this need in this country. Next picture. Uh, Here she is in Brazil. And this is at an orphanage, and it's, it's, it's a unique or- orphanage. It's, it's an orphanage for AIDS, children with AIDS. And it's at a time, remember, this is in the late 80s. It's at a time when people who had AIDS, the AIDS virus, the sickness, was, had so much stigma. It was at a time when people with AIDS would have been treated like, you know, first century lepers. Ugh. And listen to what Lady Diana said. She said, HIV does not make people dangerous to know. So you can shake their hands and give them a hug. Heaven knows they need it. Uh, Princess Diana did not act like your typical royal, which made a lot of waves within the royal family. Uh, uh, But her actions may have made waves on one side. On the other side, the people loved her. The people flocked to her. The people, we, we put Lady Diana on the same level as Mother Teresa. There are people calling for her to be, to be sainted. And when I look at Lady Diana, I see in her life a beautiful picture of Jesus. Because when Jesus came to earth, talk about royalty. He is the royal of all royals. And he came to earth and he got way down in the dirt. Jesus came to earth uh, and got way down into the mess of humanity. And just like Princess Di, Uh, Jesus also frustrated the royals, the religious leaders of his day. They did not know what to do with Jesus. But again, just like Lady Di, the people loved Jesus. The people flocked to Jesus. Now, where the people in the New Testament accepted the humanity of Jesus but struggled in embracing the, the divinity of Jesus, I think that you and I are the opposite. 
I think we're quicker to believe that Jesus is God, but we struggle to believe that he is also a man, that he's human. I think we find it hard to get our minds around that. And you know why I think that? I think that because if we really did get it, if we really did understand and, and, and comprehend how human Jesus really is, well, then I think it would be totally reflected in our lives. And what I mean is Jesus, and I don't mean this as, to be silly, but Jesus truly would be our BFF, our best friend forever. Jesus, I mean, we would not have to teach on prayer. We wouldn't have to teach you how to talk to Jesus because you would, you would always talk to Jesus because Jesus knows. Jesus has been there. Jesus has felt that. Jesus has, has walked through the stuff we struggle with in life. So I think we'd be talking to him all the time. We'd be telling him everything, everything that's going on in our lives. I think if we really got this, our worship, our times of worship would be explosive because we would come, what do we believe when we worship? That we're coming into the presence of God and that we would come into this place, this holy place before almighty God, the perfect one, and we would come in with no shame because we know that not only are we you know, uh, uh, invited in this place, but we're fully accepted and that the God whose presence we're coming in totally understands our condition. And even in that place, he says, oh yeah, come close, come close, I understand. So today we wanna look at the humanity of Jesus, but pray, and then uh, we're gonna jump in. So Lord, I thank you uh, for each one that's here and I, I pray again, I, I pray that you would not let today be just another Sunday. Lord, that today is a, is, a, um, is a brand new day and you are here. And that makes the possibilities today just endless. And I pray, Jesus, we're gonna be looking at your humanity. I pray that as I'm talking way beyond my words, I pray that you would be walking among us and that you would be surprising people with just how much you know and understand. So come, open our hearts and minds to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, I'm gonna be jumping around a lot in the Bible, so we're gonna have the scriptures up there for you to follow. But I wanna start off uh, by looking at, we're talking about Jesus' humanity. I wanna look at the way that he came to earth and revealed himself to the world. So number one in your notes is fully human. Jesus is fully human. And I'm thinking about, you know, God is, you know, it's like, son, it's time to go. God's sending his son to earth on this rescue mission. Uh, to rescue humanity, and, and I, I wanna just look at this question of, so how is it, how does Jesus reveal himself to the world? Like, so let's look at that first picture, Jim. So is this how he would have come to earth? Now, many of you are looking at that going, what on earth is that? If you've not seen the movie Arrival, that is one of the aliens that showed up, and I mean, is how God, you know, God who is spirit, is that how God would have come to earth? Well, thankfully, no, because we would have all been freaked out and run the other direction. So, so maybe then when he comes to earth, maybe he would have come, he would have revealed himself to the world in a, maybe a little, uh, in a little less scary way. What about this? 
Okay, now that's what I'm talking about, right? If I was God, this is the way I would have shown up for an earth. Handsome, strong, great accent. You know what I mean? That is, he is the man. That guy's going to impact. But you look at him and you go, okay, but maybe he's, maybe that's still a little bit too much. Maybe he's a little too intimidating. So maybe we should go for someone a little less godlike. So maybe he would have shown up like this. <laughs> Woo! Okay, talk about divinity. Wayne Gretzky, the man. Okay. So how does God Almighty, when he comes to earth, how does he reveal himself? Let's go to that next picture. Like that. Think about that. I know we, we, you know, you, that's how he comes to earth. Little baby boy. But then in carrying on this thought, uh, when Jesus came to earth as a little baby, uh, he only, you know, at that time, he only revealed himself to just a handful of people And really, it's not till after his baptism that Jesus started revealing himself to the masses, to the world. And and, and, and so, you know, what did he look like? If you Google, if you Google what does Jesus look like, here's what you come up with. That's what what it says on Google. Now, that's not a real, uh, (laughs) true picture of Jesus. And really, we don't know exactly what Jesus looked like. But listen to this. Here's what we do know about how Jesus looked. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says this. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Like, is that not so human? Like, look at those words. Look at those descriptive words. God is coming to earth. Look at the way he came to earth. Like, I love that. I love the way Jesus came to earth. Because you know what it says? It says, uh, I'm just coming like, like not even average, below average. There was nothing beautiful about him or majestic about his appearance. Really, the, the way God came to earth, the way Jesus entered our humanity, is, it's like his, his word was, I've not come to dominate you. I've not come to crush you, control you. I've come to be with you. I've come to walk with you. I've come to befriend you. I've come to help you. When Jesus came to earth, and and to say that he's fully human, he didn't sort of, you know, live this humanity light, right? The version of humanity he lived. And and what I mean is this, you know, getting back to royals, and we see this a lot with politicians, that when it comes to being a person of power, coming into a place of need, what do we see over and over? We're getting ready for an election coming up soon, and and we're going to see all these pictures of politicians putting on hard hats and going out with the common people, Right, and really what's going on is it's they got a, fo- you know, a, a camera crew with them. It's like, hey, just get out there, get your shoes a little bit dirty, we'll get some pictures, we'll get some, you know, some audio clips, and then we're out of there. But that's not how Jesus came to earth. When Jesus came to earth, Jesus didn't just get his sandals dirty. Jesus dove into the deep end of the mess of humanity of the struggles of humanity. Jesus fully embraced the human experience. You know, almighty God shrunk himself down into Mary's womb. And he just sat in there for nine months. (laughs) And and when Jesus was born, he didn't come out and go, I bring you greetings from, right? He didn't say that, did he? When Jesus was born, uh, he cried. 
It wasn't a way in a manger, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. No, sorry. He cried. When Jesus was born, it was messy. Uh, Jesus uh, filled his diapers. Jesus was a baby. He was like any, just like you, just like me. One of the commentaries I read, it said, you know, looking at the humanity of Jesus, it said this, it says, Jesus didn't come to earth fully loaded, meaning he had to learn. Think about that. The one who created legs, who thought legs up, had to learn how to walk. The one who created the tongue had to learn how to talk. Jesus had to learn how to read. Jesus had to learn, had to learn how, to, how to spell. Uh, remember the story, uh, this is not as common a story, but there's a story in the New Testament when Jesus was like 12 years old and he went with his family to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration and they go in and after the, you know, the, the Passover, after it's over, they, you know, they're heading out of Jerusalem on, the, on, uh, on 270. And as they're driving out of Jerusalem, they realize, oh no, Jesus isn't in the van. So they turn around, they go back into Jerusalem. And where do they find him? Here's what it says. Luke 2:46 says, three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders. Now, what was he doing? Listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, obviously, Jesus had a sense of who he was and why he was here. But when I look at that, here's what I see is, did Jesus, did Jesus have to learn the scriptures? Did the word, the Bible says that Jesus is the word become flesh, did, he, did the word have to learn the word? Like any Jewish boy, he would have gone to the synagogue. Did Jesus have to go sit and have someone teach him about his own father, about God? Uh, uh, Jesus had to learn how to be a carpenter. Joseph would have taught Jesus the trade. Now imagine that. Imagine the one who literally spoke into being, like Jupiter, and there it is. Imagine him standing in a workshop with Joseph where Joseph's like, I'm gonna teach you how to build a table. You got four legs and a flat piece. You got that, I mean, could you imagine? Jesus had to learn. Jesus can relate to us. He understands not understanding. He gets that. He gets that. Um, he's fully human. Jesus grew up in a family. Mark 6.3 says this. Then they scoffed, talking about Jesus. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. He grew up in a family. It looks like he grew up in a, in a big family. It also looks like, and you'll notice that they don't mention uh, Papa Joseph's name. So Joseph would have died by this time. So Jesus grew up uh, in a home where Mary was a single mom. Ever thought about that? That being the oldest, just think of the responsibilities that came on the shoulders of Jesus as a young man. I know that many of you can relate to that. Think of what it would have been like to, to grow up with Jesus as your brother. It's like, Jesus, stop parting my soup, right? Uh, or... Mom, my broccoli is on fire again. That, I mean, imagine growing up with Jesus. Jesus uh, grew up in a family. Jesus went through puberty. He didn't get to skip over that. Uh, again, I, Jesus worked as a carpenter. Jesus owned his own business. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus was in business longer than he was in the ministry. So I'm sure Jesus, being in business, I'm sure Jesus got ripped off. I'm sure he made a table that he didn't get the money for the table. Jesus paid taxes, 
He got tired, he got thirsty, he got hungry, he experienced pain, physical pain, emotional, anxiety, fear, rejection. Uh, Jesus grew up with a cloud of illegitimacy over his head for his entire life. When people would say, hey, Jesus, who's your daddy? They really meant, who is your daddy? Right? His, his own family thought he was crazy. His best friends deserted him. He was mocked, made fun of, insulted. He was lied about. Can you relate to that? Jesus didn't come to earth and live some cushy life among us. Jesus was fully human. So let me ask you a question. When's the last time you let the humanity of Jesus draw you to him? Does that make sense? When's the last time you uh, let the truth of how much he gets your situation cause you to just throw yourself to him? cause you to just pour it all out to him. That he's the one who goes, oh, I know. Loneliness? Oh, I know loneliness. Pain? Fear? I know fear. When's the last time the humanity of Jesus freed you up to run to him? Now, as if that wasn't enough, uh, his embracing of our condition goes even deeper Hebrews 4.15 says this. It says, for we do not have a high priest who was unable to uh, empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This scripture points to Jesus and talks about him as our high priest. And, you know, and the high priest is someone who is our representative, the one who goes before God on our behalf to plead our case. And so number two in your notes is this, is Jesus is fully human. Jesus is fully approachable. And again, just to sort of you know, retrace our steps, Jesus didn't come as some hu- uh, superior human. Uh, we've established that Jesus was incredibly normal. You would have walked by Jesus and, you, and, and not even noticed him. Think about that. That's how common Jesus was. We've established that Jesus had to learn. He didn't come fully loaded. But then when we read in Hebrews 4 that he was tempted in every way just as we are, to me, this goes to a whole nother level. And what I mean is this. Up to this point, we've been talking really more about outside things as a human. But when you talk about temptation. Now we're getting into deep, inside, messy things. I mean, think of, well, let's look at this definition. Here's a definition of temptation. It's the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. So think of the things that you're uh, tempted by. Think of the things, the, the thoughts that go through your mind. I mean, the things that you're like, whoa, I don't anyone, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to know those things, right? Think about those thoughts. Think about the, the emotions that, that sort of flash and flare up in your life as you go about your day. Uh, anger, jealousy, uh, pride, uh, uh, revenge, Lust. I mean, those very deep 
you know, emotions that just grab hold of you. I mean, think of all those things. And then, and then imagine Jesus having those same temptations. Jesus was not immune to that. Jesus felt the tug of temptation. Really, the heart of temptation is this. Are we going to choose our way or God's way? And Jesus felt that tug. When it came to temptation, Jesus is like us in every way except what Jesus never sinned. Jesus never gave in to temptation. Jesus uh, was the perfect high priest who brought the perfect sacrifice himself to pay the penalty for our sins. And because he did that, verse 16 says this. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, uh, I mentioned this in the introduction that when Jesus came to earth, he came to a world whose understanding about what God is like uh, was that God was void of emotion, uh, void of emotion, that God was uh, very detached, very unapproachable. But when you look at Jesus and you look at the way Jesus came to earth, he totally destroyed those beliefs about what God is like. Jesus broke down all the barriers between, between us and God. Just think in the Bible, all the stories, and think of all the people that ran to Jesus, came to Jesus. People that would never have gone, uh, ran towards the religious leaders of his day, but they were attracted to Jesus. Uh, people like children, right? Remember the story where the children come to Jesus and they're trying to keep them away? The kids are like, they, I mean, how approachable. Uh, lepers, lepers, the unclean who had to stay away from everyone else would run to Jesus, prostitutes, tax collectors. Jesus didn't reveal himself the way he did so that we would become more loyal subjects. Jesus revealed himself the way he did so that we would become his friends. That was his invitation. And we talk about that a lot, relationship with God, friendship with God. I think every weekend we talk about that. And I know for some of us it might be, oh God, it's such a hard thing to get your head around. Like, come on, friends with God? Like, I can be friends with God? I don't even know. Where does that even start, to be friends with God? Well, when it comes to friendships, uh, consider this. The level of friendship, the level of intimacy you have with another person, the level of friendship is determined by the one who is greater, is determined by the one who has the power. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, I used to work down at Vineyard Columbus down in Westerville, and uh, one weekend I was walking out of the church and I'm walking out of the main doors and as I was walking out, a man was walking out beside me and I, you know, in my peripheral, I looked over and I thought, hey, that guy looks just like so-and-so who used to play for the Columbus Blue Jackets, the professional hockey team. And so having a filter, I blurted out, hey, hey, you look just like so-and-so. And as we're walking out, he says, oh, well, that's because I am so-and-so. <gasps> and it turned into a little boy. I was like, no way. For like, I love hockey. And so I stood in the parking lot with this guy, for 20 minutes, and he told me stories, stories from the locker room, stories that you never hear in the news, and I was like, oh, I was just so excited. Now, could you imagine if I said to this guy, I'm standing there, and he's telling me these stories, if I said to him, hey, hey, you want to have a sleepover? <laughs> I mean, could you, could you imagine, and he would have been, what? I mean, maybe that's too soon. You, 
you want to go for lunch? Like, think about this, though. Think this through. That is totally not my call, is it? Because he's in the power position. He's the one who's going to define the level of friendship we're going to have, which ended up being 20 minutes uh, in the parking lot. (laughs) But Jesus, Jesus is in the ultimate power position. So how does he define the level of friendship that he wants to have with us? The one who's in the ultimate power position, as we come to him, you know, with all our brokenness, all the struggles of humanity, as we, you know, come to him, you know, with the things that we are convinced disqualify us from coming to him, when we come to him and the enemy, the accuser he's called in the Bible, is screaming at you, unclean, unworthy, unwelcome. When we come to Jesus, how does he define the level of friendship that he wants to to have with us? Is he says, come to me, just as you are. Come to me. Come to the throne of grace. Come into the presence of God. And it's like, well, how do we come, Jesus? Do we come, you know, cowering fearfully, tail between our legs? What does he say? He says, I want you to come to me, and I want you to come with confidence. I want you to come into the presence of God with boldness knowing that you aren't just getting, you know, you are there because Jesus has invited you there. The power of all powers has said, here's the friendship I want to have with you. I want you, no matter what condition you're in, I want you to come to me. I want you to come to the throne of grace, into the presence of God, and in that place, you're going to receive mercy. All the struggles, you're going to receive what you need at that time. And, you know, so when you, when you ask the question, I mean, how do, we be, how, do we, how do you be in a friendship with God? It's really what it is, is you just come to him as you are. You believe that's true, that invitation, that he wants to have that kind of friendship with you. And, you, and, and really, that's not just how it starts. That's how you continue a friendship with God. You come to him as you are. Because Jesus totally gets us, there is never any reason to hide from him. I mean, like, uh, why hide? Why hide? He knows. He knows. But better than that, he understands. He's been there. But really, more accurately, he's been close to there. He's felt the tug of temptation. Again, he's not given into it, but he's been there. And, you know, when I, when I think of that, I think of one of the values, one of the practices we have in the vineyard is at the end of our services, we all we, we, we have time for, for what we call ministry time where we invite people forward for prayer. And you know what we're doing? Really symbolically, I believe we're, we're inviting people up to the front and we're saying, what we're saying is come to the throne of grace. Come into the presence of God. You have needs. You're overwhelmed. You're afraid, you're sad, you're lonely, just all the stuff of humanity. And we're saying, come to the one who totally gets you. Come and find mercy. Come, you know, get what you need. And we've been, you know, banging this drum a lot because we don't want to lose this opportunity. Because I'm, you know, I'm so aware that there are things that, that keep us from coming forward. Again, in our humanity, I think one of the biggest things that keeps us from going forward is, oh boy, if I go forward, people are going to think I'm needy. People are going to think, you know, i got problems in my life. Add to that being a pastor. You can't go forward because you've got to have, you know, well, yeah. 
I can write a book on that one. But, uh, but newsflash, come on. We all struggle. Like there's so much need in this room right now. There's some of you, you're, you're, you've, you are so overwhelmed with what's going on in your life. Some of you are in pain, emotional pain. You're coming to church, you're lonely. There's so many needs in this room. So here's what I wanna challenge us to, that we would be a church who breaks through any barriers between us coming to the throne of grace, between us coming to God. I wanna, I wanna challenge us, I wanna invite us into that, that this would be a place where to come forward for prayer is like, boy, that guy's smart. So Jesus says, I've come to meet you where you are, fully human, fully approachable, and now, sort of turns a bit of a corner, now I wanna lead you to where I am. So number three in your notes is fully dependent. Fully human, fully approachable, fully dependent. And uh, I've been purposefully holding off talking about the fact that Jesus is fully man and fully God. And uh, when I say that, what I'm not saying is Jesus is, you know, 50% man and 50% God equals 100% being. Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying in this is that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God all at the same time. Like, it's a mystery. It is a theological tension that, you know, has, people have been talking about for years and years and years. It's not two persons in the same body. Like, are you driving tonight? No, I think uh, I'm driving. You know, it's like, there's, it's not two persons in one body. It is two natures united in one person. And again, for note takers, look up the hypostatic union. All kinds of cool information there. And, it, and it, so, it's, so what I'm saying is it's not either or. It's not either or. He's either this or he's that. It's, it's both end. See, if we look at Jesus through the, through the lens of either or, then we miss out on the truth, but we miss out on the glory, on the gift of both end. Uh, because he's fully man and fully God, it means we can always trust his ability to understand our condition, our struggles, our fears, our weaknesses, and at the same time, go to him with confidence that he can do something, he can do something about those struggles, fears, and weaknesses. So Jesus is fully God, fully man, and, and maybe that stirs up a question in your mind of like, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, if he's fully God, fully man all the time, how is it possible, him being fully God, how is it possible that Jesus was so human? How is it possible that Jesus was so weak that he had to learn? Uh, this shows the extent to which Jesus humbled himself uh, to get down to our level and then to be an example for us to follow. Philippians 2, 6 says this, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. What does that say? That says that though he was fully God, he did not use it. As he walked this earth, Jesus did not use that to his advantage. Although he had all the resources of heaven at his disposal, he never used them. He chose not to use them. Remember the hymn, he could have called. He could have called, 
10,000 angels. But he didn't. He didn't. It's like, another way to put it would be, Jesus could have walked around as Superman all the time, but he chose to live his life on earth as Clark Kent. This is where the humanity of Jesus, the way he lived his life, becomes an example for you and I. And this is really important. He chose to have the same weaknesses, limitations as we have in order to show what it looks like when a human being fully submits to the plans of God. Now that is super important. He chose to have the same weaknesses and limitations as we have in order to show what it looks like when a human, someone like you, someone like me, fully submits to the plans of God. All through the life of Jesus, what we see happening is God empowering the obedience of Jesus. Son, do this. Okay, Uh, miracle of feeding 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. Son, do this. Okay, people are healed right and left. Son, do this. Okay, and demons go running. Like Jesus didn't walk this earth with an ace up his sleeve that, okay, he'd just play it from time to time. Jesus chose to live his life, uh, live a life of constant dependence on the Father. Now, I think it's, it's, it's right to point out that while he was fully like us as humans, he did have an advantage over us. And what I mean is this. He clearly heard his father's voice. He had a very clear picture of his purpose. He was fully in tune with and in step with the power of the Holy Spirit that flowed in him and through him. So yes, he had that advantage. But the Bible teaches that in this life, that God's plan for you, for me as human beings, is to increasingly walk in the footsteps and experiences of Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. And so when we say in the vineyard, something we say a lot is everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. That isn't just a gimmicky little phrase we pull out to try to get you to volunteer, you know, to do things in the church. Although we do need uh, some volunteers, uh, so you might want to check the bulletin. But But that phrase is driven by a belief that the example of Jesus is also offered to you. It's also offered to me. And what does that mean? That means that kind of a relationship with God, that kind of guidance from God, that that clearer uh, sense of purpose from God, being empowered by God to do whatever it is he asks us to do. So let me end with this story. Uh, Last fall, Uh, Helen and I had the privilege of um, hosting a trip to Israel with uh, Danny and Penny. And uh, just a little plug, we're going to be going back to Israel again in fall of 2021, so start saving your shekels. But uh, on the first morning that we were in, uh, in Israel, we were at the Sea of Galilee, and we get up that morning and uh, go down to the docks and there's a, there's a boat and we, we, you know, we pile on this boat and bop, 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 bop. we head out onto the Sea of Galilee. It's really more the lake of Galilee. It's a big lake. But uh, as we're going out, I love water and being on the water. And, you know, and I was standing on the side of the boat and I'm looking over at the, at the lake. It's very beautiful. And I'm looking and all of a sudden this, uh, this thought goes through my mind. You know, two people have walked on this water. And I thought, hmm, could we make it three? (laughs) Uh, But I started thinking about that, how Jesus and Peter have walked on that water. And you may be familiar with the story where uh, Jesus had just done that miracle of feeding 
the 5,000 with the little boy's lunch. And uh, as he's wrapping things up, he says to the disciples, hey, you guys, get in the boat. You guys head across the lake. And then he dismisses all the people. And it says in the story that Jesus goes up on a hill just to be with his father, to pray, just to hang out with his father. And, and the story unfolds like this. Matthew 14 says, meanwhile, the disciples, the, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. Now that, wouldn't you love to have a time machine to just go back and sort of hop in the boat, you know, with the disciples, just to, just to watch that, uh, that whole thing play out. I mean, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in this, you know, these stormy waters and to watch Peter climbing over the side of the boat. It must have just been like, Peter, you know, what, what is going on? And here's the thing I want to point out in this story. Uh, in looking at this story, don't forget Philippians 2. And what I mean is, as Jesus stood on the water, going up and down with the waves, as he stood in the water, he wasn't using the fact that he was God to his advantage. Meaning, he was just a man standing in the water, fully human. Think about that. And, and here's how I think the story really played out. You know, as Jesus was sitting on the hill and he's up there talking with his father and, you know, and, and he's looking out in the water and he sees the disciples, whatever, I don't know what they're rowing or, uh, you know, and, and they're fighting the waves. And I think God, the father, leaned into his son and said, hey, you want to have some fun? And I think he said, why don't you walk out to them on the water? And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah. But here's what happens. So Jesus goes and as he steps onto the water, God empowers his obedience because he's just a man. But as he obeys the Father and steps onto the water, God empowers his obedience and the water is solid. And he goes walking up to the boat and I love Peter's response because I think Peter's starting to understand something like beyond the fear. I love the way that Peter looks at Jesus and just there's just something going on there where he goes, he looks at him and he recognizes, I want to be where you are. I want to do what you do. But, but I need you to call me there because that needs to be your plan. It, it can't just be us running around doing whatever we want to do. It's us doing what the Father's doing. Peter needed to be called onto the water. So what does Peter say when he's looking at Jesus? Lord, if it's really you, then tell me to come to you. Give me a command. Tell me to come to you walking in the water. And Jesus says, yes, come. And as Peter, you know, thinking, I, I just can't imagine, talk about an adrenaline spike. <laughs> I just can't imagine going over the boat. And as he does, what does God do? God empowers Peter's obedience, and Peter steps down onto solid water for a little bit, if you know the story. Jesus came to meet us where we are as humans, to befriend us, but he also came to be the example to lead us to where he is. Now think about Jesus. 
like all that he did on earth would have been impossible for him because fully God, fully man, he did not use his divinity to his advantage, so he walked this earth the same way we walk this earth. Again, he didn't sin, but, I, but the humanity of Jesus. What made it all possible was his dependence and submission, his obedience to the plans of God, to what God had called him to do. So think about what God has called us to do. If you are a follower of Jesus, here's what God has called you to do. He's called you to love your neighbors, to love your enemies. He's called you to welcome anyone he brings your way. He's called you to tell people about him. He's called you to serve those in need. He's called you to give, to be a generous giver. He's called you to be Jesus to your neighbors, to be Jesus in the workplace. He's called you to be Jesus in the home. All these things, like it's like this general call of God on all his followers, and as I look at all of you, that filters down into very specific calls that God has for you. All these things, just like Jesus, are totally impossible for us to do unless we live lives of dependence on God and submit to his plan, and as we step out, God will empower our obedience. So why, why don't we all stand up? We're gonna stop there. Helen gave me the signal. <laughs> Wrap it up. <laughs> so let's just quiet ourselves. Let's not let this be the time where you start to detach and think about lunch. Let's take a few more minutes and just let's quiet ourselves if it helps to close your eyes, helps to open your hands, just a posture of, of sort of listening and receiving. But God, we thank you for your presence here. Uh, I thank you that as I've been up here talking away, that you have been very active in this room, that you've been walking among us. And so I pray right now that you would just remove distractions and, and just help us to, to focus on you. Just come, Lord. Come walk among us. Mm-mm. We love your presence. What an awesome thought to think that the one who walked on the water is here with us right now. The one who said to Peter, yeah, come, come, come do what I do. That you're with us right now. Just come, Lord. You know, and I think right now that uh, there's a lot of inviting going on in the room. And what I mean is this, I, I, uh, it's, I, I see Jesus standing in front of people and he's inviting you. And for some of you, it's he is inviting you to step out of the boat uh, onto the water. But again, well, what does that mean? I mean, there are things that he's been tugging you towards. Uh, and and, and it's, it's like, maybe it's people that he wants you to go talk to. Maybe it's money that he wants you to give to someone. Maybe it's uh, someone you need to go to in your family that, that you need to extend forgiveness. 
Maybe for some of you, it's a career change. Maybe for some of you in your marriage, he's been saying, you guys, you need to get into counseling. What, like, there's so many things that the Lord's just saying, this is what I have for you. This is my plan. This is where you need to step out of the boat. And in a second, if that's you, we're gonna invite you forward because you need to come to the throne of grace because you need help to step out of the boat. I also believe that for some of you, he's not inviting you to step out of the boat, he's inviting you to step into the boat. You've been on the shore. Maybe you, maybe you were in the boat for a while, but you stepped out at some point. And he's saying, come on back. Come on back into the boat. Maybe it's for the first time that you've, you know, you've never really started a, a relationship with Jesus. You've never really started or you know, trying to live a life of dependence on him, well, he's inviting you into the boat. There was a, um, last night someone had a picture of, they saw this room with all these shelves lining the walls, and they had all these different things on the, on the shelves. And he, and he felt like those things were things that God had called us into, you know, uh, uh, you know dreams that he'd given us. And when, we, when God gave us those things, we took them and we put them on the shelf. We didn't act on them. But today what God is saying to many of us, he's saying, come on, take that thing off the shelf. And let's do it. Let's, let's get out in the water. So if that's you, I wanna also invite you in a sec to come on forward for prayer. Um, uh, uh, I know that the flu bug's been knocking a lot of us off our feet. Uh, if you're here today and have the flu, why don't you have a mask on? Uh, but, uh, but if you're sick or your family's been hit by that, we would love to pray for you. If you have any pain in your body, physical, emotional, if, if there are financial issues, whatever's going on in your life, if you need uh, help, well, I'm inviting you to the throne of grace. Come to Jesus. Come to the one who can help you. So uh, come on up for prayer. Naomi's gonna uh, lead us in a song. Let's make sure everyone who comes forward has someone praying for them, but uh, let's take some time to, to pray, and then I'll, then I'll end up the service. So come on up. <laughs> 